0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money
4: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek.
2: And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now a swathe of tighter lockdown restrictions could be hitting the north of England. The sun is reporting that pubs and restaurants face closure in Liverpool, Manchester and Newcastle, with some shops potentially also closing. But the plan could face a backlash on the ground. According to the Daily Mail, leaders of Leeds, Manchester and Newcastle city councils, alongside the Mayor of Liverpool, are calling for the 10pm curfew to be scrapped. They also want local authorities to decide what steps are actually taken.
4: Mm, Yeah, that rings of the interview we had with the leader of Hartlepool Council the other day. He was quite critical of the way the government had acted. And it's not just the north, it's Scotland as well. New measures set to be announced by the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. There's been some speculation that travel restrictions could be imposed in areas with high levels of the virus. It's been spreading particularly quickly in the central belt of Scotland. And then some pubs, restaurants and other venues could see tighter controls as well, or even temporary closure. That would be a step further.
2: Well, let's hear from another part of the United Kingdom which is being affected by its own measures. That's Northern Ireland, of course. Joining us now is Gavin Robinson, DUP MP for Belfast East and uh, the party's Home Office spokesperson. Gavin, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Uh, first of all, just bring us up to speed, what is the situation in Northern Ireland? Is it as strict as it is now becoming, for example, in the north of England?
3: Well, good morning to you and thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a mixed picture. Uh, picture about three weeks ago um, we had the imposition of what were called localised restrictions. Uh, they were focused primarily on uh, postcode areas where there was a high incidence of infections uh, starting to emerge. And they primarily focused on uh, residential settings and who could come into uh, one another's home, uh, as described as an uncontrolled environment in a way that uh, those within the business sector uh, were not. Uh, but last week we saw the imposition of the first localised Uh, lockdown or stronger localised restrictions uh, within the Derry and Strabane area, uh, given the rate of uh, increased infections within that area. And that has brought with it um, uh, quite considerable economic challenges because uh, whilst we uh, are all aware of the uh, quite important uh, and immediate financial measures that were brought forward by national government, uh, at the start of this pandemic, uh, you're now finding areas being put into restrictive practices where businesses are having to close, where they cannot operate as they had been previously, and yet the the financial uh, capacity for the Northern Ireland executive uh, won't be able to stretch uh, too far in that regard. Uh, And without national government uh, saying, if you are going to proceed with restrictive uh, enforcement on businesses and businesses who are struggling to get back on their feet, uh, having come through what they have, uh, then government is going to have to step up monumentally uh, and support these
4: industries. And as things stand, Gavin, what does the future of those businesses look like, particularly those in hospitality, which we know have been disproportionately hit by all of this?
3: That's right. And particularly in the Derry and Strabane area, I mean, that is a a debate that is currently ongoing in Northern Ireland today and tomorrow. I know the Northern Ireland executive is considering uh, a a small grant system to get them through the the number of weeks that are outlined for uh, that localised restriction. Uh, But it is small. And for many businesses, it won't be sufficient. So you're talking about a weekly grant of potentially 800 to £1,200. Pounds. And when you imagine that businesses have been through uh, months of turmoil, uh, months with uh, no income at all or severely restricted uh, income, just starting to reap the benefits of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, uh, encouraging people to feel confident to come back into town centres and to uh, return to workplaces, all of that seems to be curtailed or starting to curtail again and that presents challenges far beyond what i believe any devolved administration will have the ability or the financial capacity to deal
2: with well that's an interesting point you make there i mean is is this a moment perhaps where the whole devolved nature of the uk perhaps breaks down is this a point where really there should be some sort of joint council in scotland wales northern ireland and england making these sort of decisions
3: i think there's an immediate fundamental We obviously know that the budget uh, that was scheduled for uh, next month is not uh, proceeding as planned. We heard from the Chancellor earlier at his party conference speech uh, this week indicating that he would uh, be able to balance the books, um, but no clarity as to how that will be achieved. But given we are in this uh, trajectory, it would suggest there will be further restrictions imposed. Businesses that have struggled and were just starting to get back on their feet have now been put back into uh, localised lockdown. Uh, seeing their opportunities for growth and stability uh, being curtailed quite fundamentally. Uh, I think there is going to need to be a very quick and sharp response from national government to say, should we proceed on this basis? Should we countenance uh, localised restrictions and localised lockdowns? Or or should they embark on this uh, circuit breaker type approach? There's going to be a need for an injection of liquidity uh, within businesses who have struggled quite substantially over the last six months.
4: And w- what about compliance? Uh, I, I mean, we saw Sammy Wilson photograph not wearing a mask on the tube a few weeks ago in London. Does that not undermine the uh, the, the, the requirement to follow these rules for everybody in Northern Ireland?
3: Well, people understand the, the rules. Uh, people know what the rules are uh, and people abide by them. And, and, and Sammy does. Um, he wasn't on one occasion with a snap, but I travel with him to and from uh, London, uh, to and from uh, Westminster and know that he does wear a mask uh, ordinarily. So whatever about the specifics of that case, uh, I think people, by and large, do understand that there's a public health imperative, uh, do wish to work with it, do at times ask government to be a little clearer uh, on the evidence underpinning a decision, the necessity for individual decisions, uh, and a consistency of message uh, that allows people to follow the guidance uh, properly. Uh, you will have seen last week quite considerable and concerted efforts within Parliament to say, Future restrictions need to be underpaced with evidence that can be robustly challenged and investigated so that everyone has a satisfactory understanding of the purpose and the import uh, of an individual measure. Uh, But I don't think anyone is seeking to undermine the public health imperative of protection at this time.
2: It's an interesting moment, I guess, for Northern Ireland in the sense that you you have an administration made made up of two uh, parties that are not always seeing eye to eye. Is there complete bipartisanship on the rules, how they should be imposed, where we're going with this in Northern Ireland?
3: Well, it's more complicated than that. We don't have a two-party administration. We have a five-party administration. And with that, you get a, a divergence of opinions on political ideology and approach. But a concerted effort from the Northern Ireland executive that when they reach agreement, uh, that they move forward as one. And so, you no know, I'm quite pleased with the way the executive has coalesced. If you remember, the executive wasn't in existence um, last year. It only reformed at the start of this year and very quickly found itself in the midst of a pandemic and has worked incredibly well together, despite the fact that you have five different parties with five different approaches in
4: life. Um, And what about Brexit? We're getting towards the end of the talks, or so we're led to believe. Uh, What do you want to see then from the government in terms of concessions in order to get some sort of a deal here?
3: Well, the government produced a white paper, as you might recall, nine, twelve months ago, uh, outlining exactly what uh, they sought. Have that fundamental clarity because that work remains uh, unresolved. So time is marching on and we need a resolution as quickly as possible.
2: But that resolution might involve some perhaps hard choices. If one of those choices was to go with effectively a kind of double border, one down the Irish Sea, one effectively on the island of Ireland, would that be something that you would be able to get behind?
3: Well, the whole point of the Northern Ireland Protocol is to avoid, uh, rightly or wrongly, any infrastructure on the island of Ireland. I mean, I do have a fundamental issue with uh, increased checks or frustrations or things that will impact on trade east-west. GB is able to decide what comes into that uh, economic area and therefore there shouldn't be uh, significant frustration on Northern Ireland trade into the rest of the United Kingdom. Uh, But there is a fundamental challenge through the mechanisms of the protocol as to how uh, goods will move easily productively from GB into Northern Ireland uh, because we have to adhere to the single market rules. We are caught within that system. uh, And therefore, anything which is intrusive, uh, which injects delay, which increases costs, which reduces uh, product availability within Northern Ireland is going to have a fundamental impact uh, on how we do life. And you think of the scores of lorries every day that come uh, from trusted traders, like the Sainsbury's and the Asda's and the Tesco's of this world, uh, from GB into Northern Ireland.
4: Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics, and we start with a story about herd immunity. Remember that from back yes, in March. Yes, it's,
2: it's one of those ones that comes up every so often. always seems to be a slightly rude way of talking about people. But anyway, scientists of the world's top universities, including Oxford and Harvard, have written an open letter calling for the UK and the US to build herd immunity to COVID-19 by letting it spread in young people. Now, the petition has been signed by 2,500 medical and public health specialists, some 3,200 medical practitioners, They argue that most of the population is not at risk of dying if they catch the disease And efforts should be focused on protecting those who are vulnerable While letting everyone else get on with their lives as normal
4: I'm going to self-identify as young here and opt out of whatever this is. Sounds like a mess. Uh, Also, you've got so many people who are young who are vulnerable in other ways. And then you've got slow COVID, which is terrifying. I don't know why we don't talk more about that. Uh, And then we've got uh, some election spending data out. Boris Johnson spending almost £16.5 million on the Tory party's 2019 election campaign this is according to the data that's come out today from the electoral commission about 3 million of that went on advertising facebook got 700,000 google got about half a million and that all works out at about 200,000 just over 200,000 pounds a seat but it's a total of 2 million pounds cheaper than the disastrous campaign that the tories had at the 2017 election so it just goes to show money helps but it isn't everything
2: no, in contrast to certain other parts of our world where it does seem to figure rather more. Uh, now, freeports. We've heard that before as well. Now, Britain's opening its first freeport since 2012 next year. Sea Air and rail ports across England have been invited to apply for the special status. The government says they'll benefit from simplified customs procedures and duty suspensions on goods, as well as streamlining planning processes and a package of tax reliefs. The aim is to boost growth after Brexit. And the announcement comes as ministers are keen to shift the public focus away from the government's handling of the virus pandemic.
4: Mm, And then Labour could be in for... A bit of a funding cut. The Unite union is reducing the amount it's giving to the party by 10%. This is according to the Sunday Times. So Unite currently Labour's biggest donor, giving millions to the party every year. I think it gave about 7 million last year, according to this story. But there's anger then about Labour's direction under Sir Keir Starmer, the general secretary of Unite, Len McCluskey, saying that another cut could happen if the party changes course too drastically under its new leader. And of course, McCluskey, big ally of Jeremy Corbyn, doesn't like the direction the party's going in. Some of the allegations are around uh, them doing the whole election campaign, or rather Starmer's leadership campaign, playing to this left-wing crowd and then shifting to the centre ground, which they're not too happy about.
2: Yeah, it plays into that evergreen issue of how much contact and how much influence the unions have over the Labour Party. A lot to talk about there. But let's talk about something else, which is, well, it comes from a great piece on The Terminal today about the rise of Rishi Sunak. Boris Johnson's party dazzled by its potential new leader, is the headline. So could the Chancellor be soon moving next door? Perhaps sooner than we think? Joining us now is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us again. Now, why is Rishi Sunak proving so much more impressive, not just to the public, but it seems to the party faithful, than their actual leader, the Prime Minister?
0: Well, there are a few reasons Rishi Sunak is so well-liked by the party and the public. And one of them is... Uh, that despite going to public schools, he's a a student at Winchester, educated at Oxford, then at at Stanford, and you would think be, you know, then uh, thereby sort of affiliated with a kind of traditional sort of Tory background, he's not really seen by the general public as a traditional Tory. He's looked at as a bit differently, and yet within the conservative party, Uh, within the traditional sort of fiscal conservative wing of the party, he's really seen as one of them. So he's managed to straddle this very difficult line uh, between being a sort of compassionate conservative, someone who in this time of crisis is offering this hand of support to businesses, to workers, and yet at the same time not you know, being willing to to go so far as to uh, build up this huge structural deficit. So he's trusted, he's liked by within the party. He also does something that Boris Johnson doesn't, which he spends a lot of time breakfasting with uh, MPs and and including the new Tory intakes. He's very much seen as someone who reaches out within the party. And for all those reasons, uh, you know, he is often contrasted with Boris Johnson. And let's not also forget, that Rishi Sunak is seen as someone who has a real command of detail, who's relaxed, but uh, at the same time is, is very much on top of his brief. And Boris Johnson is often criticised for just the opposite.
4: Yeah, I was really struck by the whole breakfasting stuff, croissants with Rishi and all of that. Uh, is that him doing his job as Chancellor or is this him manoeuvring?
0: No, I mean, I think, it, it, I think we have to say it's very much the job of the Chancellor um, to also gather support within the party as well as the public we shouldn't forget now 10 and 11 number 10 downing street number 11 downing street chancellor and prime minister work very closely together they have a joint unit which is the whole reason that uh that Sunak's predecessor Sajid javid lost his position because he opposed this joining together of the of the two offices so i don't think um you know from, from downing street's perspective i SUNAC's popularity is a risk on the one hand, it's actually more important for Boris Johnson that he has a chancellor that's able to work with him to get parliamentary support for measures to be popular in the public. Uh, And I don't think we're seeing a very overt, let's say, campaign from Sunak to try to replace the prime minister, although there's, you know, some sort of lurking about the branding, the social media branding on the chancellor's Twitter account and messages going out saying message from number 11 uh, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I I think the real test for Sunak has not yet come. And it happens, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say starting at the end of this month when the furlough scheme expires and you have jobless rates uh, increasing. It happens when he is forced to try to balance books and figure out where he's going to get additional revenue. So it's that next period that I think is the real test of uh, Rishi Sunak, because so far he's navigated the uh, trade-off that he's had to make extremely well.
2: And I suppose if we're going to get all all house of cards about this, uh, Therese, uh, inevitably Boris Johnson's people will be looking at this and thinking, well, nice to have a popular Tory minister. There aren't that many of them. But on the other hand, could this be a threat? In which case, should there be things we're doing perhaps to move against Rishi? Is that going on, do you think?
0: Well, we saw... some sort of, you know, slight, I would say, uh, nods in that direction when questions were raised about the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which was a very popular scheme that Rishi Sunak launched uh, to subsidize people to eat out in restaurants, and you then saw um, some leaks where people said, well, maybe that's the reason that cases have picked up. You know, maybe that wasn't such a good idea, you know, is is Sunak's scheme behind that? And and that was quickly um, doused, I think, by many who said, well... You know, if that were the case, then wouldn't we be seeing a, a rise in cases all over the UK and in the South where people were eating out in restaurants, too, instead of more localized increases? But, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see open battle between uh, between Boris Johnson and, and, and number 11. They are. And they need to be united in fighting um you know the, the threat from the pandemic. They're very concentrated also on not allowing Keir Starmer, the labor leader, to uh you know, to, to score too many points. Um and it, but at the, you know, at the same time it's the story of uh British politics that those two very powerful offices um do often clash. And you know, it's an endless source of rumor whether uh the the occupant of number 11 will end up in number 10. Sometimes they have, but quite often they have not.
4: And um, what about the curfew? I mean, for a while it seemed like there was revolt growing around that. Is it fizzling out now?
0: Maybe not fizzling out. It depends. I mean, the government has now postponed the vote over the curfew uh, because it's presumably because it feared uh, a growing rebellion over that. We saw a dozen or so MPs rebelling on the rule of six. Uh, you know, I think it, the government's case gets easier to make the higher the number of, you know, cases and hospitalizations go. But remember, this is a very unpopular policy, particularly in the north, um, you know, which is more densely populated, uh, strong pub-going culture, and obviously harder impacted by uh, by the virus I expect those MPs to be pushing back quite strongly
2: and I suppose we shouldn't uh, avoid talking about the shadow over of Brexit that's still there we're seeing it move in that way I mean in terms of crises the government still has that one hovering is there a risk now that they will go down to the line you know the rhetoric will become reality and going for a no deal will result in a no deal and that they'll then have to bear the economic impact of that on top of everything else
0: yeah, I think that is always the risk. It was the risk even last year. Um, and, you know, one can say that, uh, last year provides some kind of a roadmap to what will happen again. This time it will go down to the line. Uh, the French will move a little bit on fish. The UK will move a lot on various things because, of Johnson needs his deal. But as you say, there are no certainties. And, uh, the government has said over and over it is prepared to walk away with the deal it can reach. Um is not a you know it's not a significant change changer for the economy. What does change a lot is is the politics moving forward and the blue game that might happen afterwards. So I think we have to say both Johnson still very much want to deal, so does the EU, but there is so much ground to be covered. It depends in the end on whether Johnson will get personally involved and agree to move some lines uh, to get there.
4: Uh, And just very briefly, do you think you could see the EU also going down that route? I mean, something's got to give, as we know.
0: The EU, uh, I think, has more to give. Um, And we've seen indications that they, you know, Germany, uh, that Merkel, uh, with her in her conversations with the European Commission president, seems to be very keen to look for some solutions. So I wouldn't rule that out. They moved the last time, remember, so they can do it again.
2: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm
1: Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their
3: decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with
1: our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun.